0: Welcome to the Disambiguation Podcast, where each week we try to remove some of the confusion around AI and business automation by talking to experts across a broad spectrum of business use cases and the supporting technology. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. If you're new to the show, we release every Friday uh, as a podcast on all the major podcast channels, as a video on YouTube, and we also post a transcript of the episode on the Area Research blog. Now, I'm excited today because we're going to talk about a topic that I think um, is extremely important when we look at AI and uh, and automation and generative AI particularly, uh, and that's uh, the use of, uh, balancing the use of AI-enabled solutions, with privacy, and also regulatory compliance challenges. So, I'm going to bring in my guest, and I'm excited to have... Um, Sorabell Felice joined me today and she is a thought leader in the field of responsible AI, emerging tech, and she's the founder and CEO of the company Responsible AI equals Inclusive AI. Previously, she worked for the Democracy Forward Initiative at Microsoft, and she also worked in the trust and safety organization at Meta. Before joining Meta, she was a foreign service officer for the U.S. Department of State with overseas and domestic post- postings. So welcome, Sorabell.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Great. Um, I, this is a this is a fun topic. Uh, it's an important topic, and so uh, why don't we just jump right in? Um, Let's do what, it. What are the, what are the main privacy concerns when using AI, Gen AI, large language models, machine learning algorithms in B two B use cases?
1: Yeah, there are so many. How much time do we have? There are as much so time many. as you need. <laughs> well, so I so let me start with one, which is the over collection of data beyond what's needed for training the models, right? So, you know, I get companies want as much data as they want, they want big data, they want lots of data, but if they collect more customer data than they need to train their models, then they expose themselves to increased privacy risks if they have a breach, right? Mm. Um, So that's one. Another one is, you know, going on this one, using that data for purposes other than originally intended without consent. So, you know, I give you my data and you tell me you're going to use it for this, but you have it and you want to use it for other things. Now, you didn't ask me for consent for, you know, for that other purpose. So that's a risk. That's a risk. And, you know, those are basic privacy risks, right? But then, you, you put AI and machine learning, and then you go into having biased algorithms that may discriminate mm. against certain people. You have the lack of explainability into how these models make decisions, things like the block box that people talk mm. about. Uh, so that's, you know, I think those are some of the mm. biggest risks. And, you know, you also have your basic... Day-to-day risks, cybersecurity, cybersecurity risks. Um, yeah, so important to have strong data governance in place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I, I just recently did a, um, a survey and published a report on the uh, Arian uh, research site on uh, AI adoption. And it was uh, about 400 respondents, North America only. And one of the questions I asked had to do with data prep and, you know, what are your primary challenges? And let let me show you this slide. I'm curious to see what you think of this. And I I thought it was an interesting um, bit of data to show. Uh, And I mean, it's probably no surprise that data quality comes out high and the the respondents are all um, uh, AI associated. So either they're using AI in their business or they're, run in a project, they're the decision makers, influencers. So they have to, you know, they're involved in AI already. So that probably also changes the response a little bit if we just went to the general population, but just curious what you think about the, the, the data on this one.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, data quality. Uh, there's a reason why data analysts and engineers, data engineers are in such high demand because yeah. You know, sometimes company can, companies can have this huge amount of data, but it's 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 all over the place. It's no. it's not well put together, not well organized, and you know, there's again the governance part of data, um, privacy. I, yeah, absolutely. And you've seen uh, how big companies and small companies have gotten in a lot of trouble, have gotten you know fined. Because they are not respecting the privacy regulations, especially from the EU. I think the EU is, you know, Mm -hmm. is a tough, tough place in terms of privacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, I can see, I can see that. I I can absolutely agree with those. uh, Yeah. I mean, it seems
0: like the EU especially has gotten out ahead. And and I mean, there's always been a bit more. Privacy sensitivity there perhaps than in the U.S. and other countries. So I, I guess that's not a, a surprise. I was also happy to see, although I'm the numbers are a little low, but I was happy to see bias come up um, as well. Um, it, although I was a little surprised that it was only you know ten percent of the respondents listed it as a as a primary challenge. I'll come back. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, yeah, for sure.
0: So, so you know what what how can businesses ensure privacy when they're you know when they're sharing sensitive information with a large language model and and that that seems like one of the biggest risks because you you train that model obviously they want to train it on a lot of data you know to uh, to to make it extremely functional but then how do you how do you control that internally? How do you make sure that you're that you are paying attention to the permissions you have and don't have and you're not exposing people's uh, you know personal data that they don't want exposed?
1: Yeah, I think companies really need to take um, the security of customer data seriously and not just telling the customer that they take their privacy and their data seriously but actually implementing a culture of data security in the company. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think we can go back to the basics, right? Encrypt sensitive personal data, either when it's moving around, when you're sharing it to third parties, or when it's sitting there Mm -hmm. in a database, in a server, always use strong uh, encryption methods. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also there are multiple methods of uh, encryption that you can employ to not have any gaps. So make use of those. Um, Another safeguard is kind of like cleaning the data, right? Removing any personal identifiers in data so that you can't uh, trace it back to specific people uh, if there is a breach. And in these days, you should just, you know, maybe accept that there may be a breach, like just just live with it, right? Uh, and try to secure that data uh, as much as possible. Um, and I would say like have very clear policies on when to delete or destroy data when it's no longer needed. Um, if you don't need that piece of data, delete it. You're just exposing yourself to more breaches, to to, mm-hmm. to more hacking uh, if you don't need the data, get rid of it to have yeah. good policies around it.
0: I mean it, it sounds like that it's a, a lot about uh, being intentional and really uh, elevating the fact that this could be a risk. This is important to the business and then having policies around that and having people you know be aware. Uh, and then maybe the other piece was practicing good data hygiene.
1: Right, right, right. That's very important.
0: Yeah, that makes That's sense. That's very important. And, and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the conversations that uh, had, and actually a lot of the data in the uh, in the survey really did point to um, a couple of issues. One, you know, finding a, the right amount of data that you need to train the model, because it certainly takes a lot, and if you, you know, uh, have some some data cleanliness, data quality issues already, then you're going to have to do a lot of work there. Um, and, and also just, um, you know, getting sources of data that can augment the data that you already have. Right. So that, that's definitely top of mind.
1: Yeah. And if I can just add one more, I would say always conduct uh, third-party audits uh, mm-hmm. and risk assessments when you share data with partners. In these days, companies always have vendors. They always have third-party sellers that they work with. Uh, So you can do everything right. And then you share data with a vendor that doesn't practice data hygiene. And then you just expose yourself uh, in case of a data breach or hacking. So always know who you're working with um, and make sure that they have the same standards Uh, of data cleanliness as you have.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that works in both directions, right? Make sure that your partner is um, aware of and protects what you share, but also then whatever they have, do they have permission for it? Is it clean? Is it good quality? That kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. And and I know, like, particularly around GDPR, um, companies did invest a fair bit in, you know, in trying to make sure they were compliant. And I know that started, you know, several years ago. In fact, when I was at G2, we we had a, a privacy GDPR, uh, you know, governance team, and we, we worked through the policies because that was really important. But then, of course, there hadn't been a ton of regulation lately around this. So, you know, is it top of mind for companies, you think? I mean, I guess the survey shows that at least from a privacy perspective, they are thinking about
1: it. I think so. I really do think so. Um, privacy professionals are in very high demand. Um, people are, you know, they've seen what's happened to some big tech companies yeah. uh, in terms of fines and in just the last year or so. Yep. Billions of dollars in fines. So I think, you know, companies are taking this seriously. Um, the thing is, now you've added, you know, with the introduction of AI and generative AI, you've added a a bigger attack surface. Uh, so, you know, now more than ever, it's so important to to yeah. be compliant with this regulation. <laughs>
0: well, and a lot of those systems are are forward or outward facing too, right? I mean, the number one use case in that survey was uh, chatbots. So, uh, obviously there's an even greater exposure when you're using the data in an interactive way in something that's going to be public facing. Right. So that's, that has to be an interesting uh, balance there between the two.
1: Yeah. And I would say um, even in, in the U S um, the, the agencies, the government agencies that are responsible for enforcing this are getting tougher as well. They're getting more aggressive. So for example, the, Consumer Protection uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, recently they went after some financial institutions because these financial institutions were um, putting out these chatbots there that were giving out either wrong information or were taking people's data, financial data and not protecting it pri- properly um, and you know, when you called your bank because you lost your your credit card or whatever you're you as a customer you're in a distressed state, right? And so right. you're hit with this chatbot that doesn't give you the answers that you need, that doesn't let you move forward. And a lot a lot of bad things can happen in a situation like that. So mm. those those agencies are are getting tougher, and I think companies can't ignore this anymore.
0: Mm. I mean, that, that, that brings up another question then. So what advice do you have for companies? How can they comply with, with all the different data protection regulations that seem to be either out there or in progress so that they will be, you know, out there, how, particularly around generative AI, because certainly that seems like that is a, as you say, an attack surface that has a great deal of risk.
1: Um, I would say do your homework. I would say to those companies, do your homework. Uh, you have to really take inventory and map out exactly what customer data you have, where it is, where it lives, who has access to it, where does it flow, um, really know what you have. It, it's Think of it as a budget, right? Know what your net worth is. What how much you make, how much you spend. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very important to do that. Uh, I would also say ensure that you have the lawful basis for for processing data, like consent, contracting agreements, legal requirements. Especially if you do business with the EU, like mm-hmm. really make sure that consent is top of mind for you. Um, I I would also add um, data subject rights, um, access, deletion, uh, opt-out, and not just the EU. California has very Mm. similar um, mandates as as GDPR. And I know Virginia is is doing something similar as well. So it's not just the EU anymore. Um, Always do data protection impact assessments uh, when you're doing... um, when you're processing data when you're processing sensitive data personally identifiable information um have someone there in your team being the data protection officer right. not that this full person and not that's not what i mean but someone who is responsible for you know. overseeing compliance uh it's i think it's it's so important to have like one team one central org within within mm-hmm. your company to, to oversee compliance.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that plays into the next question I was going to ask you about what you could do to minimize risk of data leakage and unauthorized access uh, to AI data. So, I mean, wh- what, other things do you think that companies can do? And obviously being mindful is an important one. having a policy is important, but are there any other things that you'd share with them that they should be thinking about?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say, uh, and I know that's something that uh, they did uh, Microsoft uh, a lot of threat modeling in vulnerability testing, uh, risk management, risk risk reviews. Um, that's very important. Uh, like it's, it's also called red teaming. Um, that very important to do that. Uh, and I I think just conducting comprehensive cybersecurity practices is so important. Because you before, you know, Gen AI and ChatGPT, you had the basics, right? Install security updates, have uh need-to-know policies, access controls. That hasn't gone away with AI. The opposite is true. You have to do it even more. You have to do it, you have to have it even stronger practices. Uh so, you know, access controls compartmentalized data, have strong need-to-know policies, um, anonymize data, you know, that's that's very important. You have sensitive data about people, they trust you with that data. Yes. Don't lose their trust, anonymize that data. Um, mm. Yeah, I would say that, and just keep having strong cybersecurity practices.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it- and obviously, there's a there's some risk around um, you know malicious use, but I guess that's true of any data. Um, but what about d- disinformation or misinformation? I know that's something that I've I've heard a fair bit of discussion around, particularly with the generative AI technology that can uh, you know produce content at a a very very rapid pace compared to humans. Um, well, how 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 do companies deal with that, or how can they you know help mitigate some of the risk around that? Uh, misuse of their data.
1: Yeah. And um, there's no easy way to do it. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I think making sure that you know what you're working with, right? Um, always audit. Always check to see that the the information that um, and a large language model has given you is correct. Double Mm. check, always double check. Trust but verify. (laughs) Yeah. I can't think of a better time to say that. Uh, Mm. Trust but verify. Um, And also protect yourself. Um, How do I say this? Not protect yourself against people, but there can be data poisoning, right? Um, Mm. So how do you limit that? Um, how can you prevent that? Uh, I would say preventative measures um, where you do background checks on uh, your own staff and you know companies already do it, but keep doing it because this is, this is a big deal. Uh, always do an ethics training for people that work for you that are dealing with this large language models. Um, and never, never take the human out of the loop. Never take the human out of decision-making. Never publish anything that uh, a large language model has given you without having a human, check it. If you can have two humans, check it. Even better. Because it's just as as beautiful and nice as it seems, the information that this LMs give you. Let's say that 95% is correct. Then you get comfortable and then you get that five percent that is wrong that is misinformation and then you have a scandal right there you are liable and you have you know a negative reputational risk like yeah. it's so much easier cheaper and better to just have humans there reviewing the outputs
0: mm. but it reminds me of that. St- story i read not long ago of an attorney that got in trouble because he was using um chatgpt for his briefs and so he he had it write a whole brief for him he didn't check it and every one of the uh, you know citations of different cases in there were made up um uh, they looked good they sounded really exactly. good but they didn't exist
1: yeah <laughs> that's it yeah, that's I, interesting it's insane. <laughs> i guess that's reputational
0: yeah. risk at at the max <laughs>
1: exactly and i think he was debar or something i i think I you're right i what think he was yeah, yeah. Me.
0: i mean he certainly was embarrassed if nothing else um so, yeah. so i mean that's that's that brings up a couple of things then around you know legal implications but also you know there's there's some ethical implications around uh the use of of different ai tools large language models machine learning and i and i've heard you're not the first person to to advise the audience that you know human in the loop is extremely important but but you know what are the other you know how do you how do you navigate some of these other uh legal but it maybe even more so the ethical ones because i mean obviously regulatory things are at least reasonably well laid out once they get um you know out there but but for ethical implications that must be an even bigger concern for a lot of companies
1: yeah i would say um I think, um, having clear documentation and communication is important. That helps maintain transparency. Uh, and, and when I say documentation, I mean it at the earliest moment when you are thinking of, uh, using an algorithm, uh, or large language model, machine learning model, documentation always is important. Mm -hmm. Um. Conduct ethical reviews, right? Uh, if you are considering an algorithm for a specific use case, conduct an ethical review, not just one person mm-hmm. that you hire uh, to conduct an ethical review, but people inside of your own company, uh, I would say uh, a good cross-cultural and cross-functional group of people who get together and look at you know, any risks uh, stemming from using that algorithm for that use case, any impact, Hmm. um, any, um, you know, any, anything that can go wrong with it. And so one example Hmm. would be, um, and this is not me bashing anyone. Okay. But it's, uh, the IRS, um, the IRS has used an algorithm that disproportionately targets, um, people of color and low-income people, specifically mm. Black people, to be audited. Uh, and the reason why they, this algorithm disproportionately selects Black people to be audited is because one of the the variables that goes into the algorithm is the earned income tax credit, which mm. is a credit that goes to low-income people. Uh, it's like a tax credit, right? And so... Right. Um, you know that tax credit is very it's subject to be misused, not mm. necessarily maliciously, but uh, you know people think they're entitled to it because it's, oh I'm low income, or you know it's 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 easy to get it wrong, yeah. Uh, and so if the, if the algorithm over relies on that one variable, mm. it will disproportionately target low income mm. people, mm. and so you know that is if if. if I think if the IRS had done an ethical review and also uh, a risk assessment and an algorithmic impact, it would have known that um, not just because it's unethical, to disproportionately target low income people, but it's also um, not financially wise, right? Because what can you get about what can you get out of a low income person, right? You right. were targeting. <laughs> your high income, high net worth individuals, they can make all the difference. But if you can get a thousand dollars from a minimum wage worker, like that is not why. Yeah, I guess it's not a volume play, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly, if not financially wise, not to mention that it's discriminatory, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Well, and it's interesting Um, because the thing you bring up there, uh, that's a really interesting um, sort of catch in this, and you know, we talk about transparency and that's obviously really important, but you know, it to bias, a simple thing like that really throws the algorithm out of kilter and makes it biased. But you, like if I just looked at that, you know, list of t- things you were gonna input to the algorithm, I'm not sure I would have thought, oh, well that means we're gonna get a disproportionately large amount of lower income people. In, you know in the output to audit because of this I mean it's it, the connection tough. I, I that's a really that's a really great example and also kind of scary
1: it is and um, I you know I think the IRS has been using it for a while they did say that they're mm. going to stop using it, but, yeah. you know they're gonna probably not use that variable give it so much weight um, yeah. but, but you know I, I don't think the IRS did this on purpose. Uh, I just think it, they didn't think it through. Uh, It wasn't as top of mind as it is now. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. I mean, we weren't really talking much about bias um, a few years ago in algorithms, but certainly it's come up a lot over the last year or so. Um, Maybe because of the awareness around ChatGPT, I think it's kind of raised a large number of the people's kind of awareness of what's out there and what's happening and that sort of thing. So maybe we're finally being a little more sensitive. I, I like the the advice of doing this kind of ethical review. So that really adds an extra layer of transparency in your algorithm. If you have a team that can really go through that and and look at it from a bias specific lens and perspective versus, you know, kind of data quality in general, That that makes a lot of sense. Um, So that that kind of brings me to this next question and I, 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 because transparency, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about it, but I'm not sure how easy it is. So how can businesses maintain transparency and trust with their clients and their partners when they're using AI and then also make sure that they're safeguarding privacy? I mean, what, how, how can they kind of address both halves of that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, Companies have to build trust uh with their customers with people uh and they also have to realize that people and customers are now more aware and more alert about privacy than they were ever before um so they know more they're more fluent in in the in the lingo so they know about block box they know mm-hmm. about you know all uh, they know that sometimes companies um have terms of privacy or terms of use in very small letters that is very legal and hard to understand and people push back uh, on that so mm-hmm. people, you know people are getting smarter in a way uh so pe- companies really have to do the work and build trust um mm-hmm. and, and remember that trust is really easy to to lose um so yeah. always keep that in mind i would say communicate with the public in plain language Um, Mm. tell them what data is being used how it's protected all of that
0: yeah that that makes a lot of sense you know one of the recent um sort of higher profile issues came out around uh zoom's terms of service and and how they could how in the terms of service they made a change in march that i honestly do believe by the way that that the, the CEO who came out later and apologized said, you know, um Eric Yuan did apologize. He did say they're taking that out. They did, you know, they did act once it was out there. But but that was almost like a they made changes. A group of people made a change to terms of service that didn't necessarily think through the implications of the change they made. And yet that really did blow up and there was a big, you know, kind of PR issue around it. So that there's a lot of risks for companies there, it sounds like
1: there is. There is, like I said, people are up in arms. I think right. people have gotten a little tired of having their data abuse in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not blaming companies because companies need data to do better, yeah. to do a better service, right? To serve us. So, yeah. you know, we also have to understand that we, if we want more personalized uh, in better interfaces, we have to give up some yeah. data. But I think that's where the communication is important. Like you tell me what I give you and you tell me what you give me. And mm-hmm. if I don't give this to you, this is what I get. So I think communications and giving me choices, give me choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me decide. And I think that is that is the key here.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean that that is really um, you know that ex- explicit explanation and really being that 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 openness and level of transparency. I know that's hard for a lot of companies though. I mean, how? I I guess the point is the risk is high enough that you really do have to be aware of this. You really do have to pay attention. You really do have to to um, to to make sure that you can maintain this level of transparency and yet you know we i I like personalized offers, I mean I suppose we all do right it's if it's in the right context and the right thing, mean, you know relative to whatever it is that I'm doing, but at the same time i'm off I'm making a trade, and maybe sometimes that gets out of balance and the value's higher for the company than it is for the consumer or vice versa um so it's kind of back to that balance value proposition it yeah
1: it is it is and. Yeah, I think that's, again, communications, uh, listening, listening to your customers. And also, even before you do anything, um, like have a brain trust in in your company and um, Mm -hmm. think through this before you just sneak away the fist and uh, it blows up in your face.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, these days it blows up in your face and then it's everywhere within a few minutes. So it's, you know, we have the, massive yep. distribution channels that are available all the time yeah that's right uh well you know and this it's is great also
1: one more thing i w- oh sure oh i was just going to add like um it's also customers are getting matter and matter, right and if they have lots of choices then you're it's uh an imbalance right there because for example some people came out and said oh i'm there never- I'm never going to use Zoom again. I'm just going to use all the other right. choices out there. And there are a lot of choices. There's Google Meet. Mm-hmm. There is Teams. There's many others. Um, but, you know, I, I, I didn't say that because uh, Zoom is, you know, it's it's very ubiquitous, right? Like it's yeah, it is so definitely my tool of choice there, yeah. Yeah, but um, I'm going to be, every time I open Zoom, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, they're they're probably doing this <laughs> and that. And I'm just gonna go in with that alertness. Um, if you have no other choice and probably the consumer has to live with it, yeah. um, but if we have choices, then it's, it's better for you to be transparent.
0: I mean, trust is fragile online particularly because it takes a while to build, but then it's so fragile that it ends just immediately as soon as you breach that trust. Um, I think that's that's yeah. part of the learning in the in the in the amount of information that flows in and kind of what we do online now and all of our activities. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I I mean that's that's all the time we have today. But I I really appreciate this and a very interesting conversation. And frankly, I could keep going, but I I suspect the listeners may not be that happy if we add an extra hour or so. Um, so thank you very much for being here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And before I let you go, though, the one one thing I really like to do at the end is, is get a recommendation from you. Uh, somebody that has really had an influence over you, a thought leader, an author, uh, a mentor uh, that other people could, you know, check out and and follow and learn from.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, Laura Miller. Um, she's an AI ethicist. Uh, she's uh, based in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spoke to her and I spoke to her, And she was very generous with her time. And I just realized that, you know, ethics is something that is so interesting, right? Because, you know, the way she framed it was, when you have an AI ethicist, you think that this person is the perfect person. She's an example. She's Mm -hmm. infallible. And we have to model her. But that's not the case. Like, we have to... Build our own ethics program, and we have to build our own um like define ethics for ourselves because humans are you know humans are flawed right? um so you can't just have and and that goes back to what I said earlier, yeah you can't just have one person who is the fall person um there this is a a whole of company um effort, and um you 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 really have to think. Through what ethics means for you, so I, I really like your mm-hmm. approach to ethics because it's really practical. Mm-hmm. It's not the theoretical. It's not wishy and yeah, yeah. It's not too philosophical. It's it's practical.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, that that's an important piece. I think from a company standpoint, right? I need it to be actionable. Uh, you can have all sorts of interesting conversations about ethics, but if I can't do anything about it in my company, it's not. Uh, you know, particularly valuable to me. Um, Well, so thank you all for joining us this week. Um, Remember, hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI, you can check out uh, the Arian Research Report on AI Adoption. It's free research, so you can't beat that. uh, Published on the Arian site. Uh, And, you know, hopefully that will give you a little bit more information about what companies are doing with AI today. So join us next week. Uh, We uh, have an exciting guest to talk about data prep. And I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.